This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, a good morning, one and all. Frank Brock here, sous chef of the garden, checking in with the main lady herself. And there she is in Prince Edward County, Charlie Dobbin. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frankie. How are you? I'm faking it. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Well, Why? What's going on? Well, no, I, I'm not just wondering whether uh, it's our circle of friends or is this a common thing, um, having difficulty sleeping. Uh, almost everybody we talk to in our circle of friends find that the case. And I am I am undergoing a real problem with that, you know? And, uh, gee whiz, have you any suggestions? to? <laughs> As if, as if you would listen to me yeah, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, no, so yeah, the sleeping thing, I think that that's happening uh, all over the world, but certainly in, in our world, in our, you know, wealthy uh, North American world, because anxiety levels have never been so high, right? I mean, it's, it's just the unknown. We've been, we've been perched on the edge of an unknown precipice for so many months that I right. think it's just gotten to people. And um, I can make some suggestions. One is, have you ever heard of CBD oil? Yeah, I have. Uh, so it's a form of cannabis, uh-huh. right? So cannabis, we think of it as, you know, marijuana, you smoke a joint, you get high. Well, that's the THC, the active ingredient uh, in some cannabis. Other cannabis crops are grown for a high level of CBD. And it's, you know, people swear by it. There's, you know, it, it's got all kinds of sort of medicinal aspects to it. And one is that it can help calm the mind. Um, so that's a suggestion. I would go to a dispensary, you know, a, yep. a licensed yep. dispensary. You'd be surprised how smart some of the staff are. And then you just tell them, you say, this is what I'm struggling with. And, and they'll, if they can't help you, they'll refer you to, you know, the, the main person in the, sh- in the shop who will walk you through some of the options, whether it's a drop of oil under your tongue or in a glass of water or a little bit of a, mm-hmm. a salve on your forehead or whatever. So there's different ways to absorb CBD, but, but I, I'm telling you, I, I know people who really, really like it. But you know what's the other thing, and you're going to laugh, gardening is one of the best ways to empty your mind. Oh, and really? it's the empty mind that lets you relax. So we call that mindfulness, right? Where you're just, right. your mind is empty, and, then, and you're not, like probably when you're having trouble falling asleep, it's because, your mind is zinging oh, around. constantly whirling, you know, a few yeah. problems after another. You know, it's, oh, my yeah. Lord, you know. And, it goes and they build way. up, and you get more yep. tense and more tense and more And then you go, oh, my God, now I can't go to sleep. Oh, that's then you're right. more tense. So, so uh, well. yeah, mindfulness. And I will tell you, Frankie, get in your car after you've had some sleep. Come here. I will put you out in my garden with a nice little tool. You're not a <laughs> weed warrior. You're strictly a weed puller. And you'd be amazed how good you feel. Like you, your mind is empty. You just work away. 
Elliot's been doing, you know, an hour yeah. to two a day, but, but he has to stop because now when he goes to sleep at night, he sleeps like a lamb, but he wakes up in the middle of the night seeing weeds. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Well, you know, maybe maybe some of our callers will like to comment on this particular subject, or not, but oh, I better give the phone point. numbers. Good uh, point. Yeah. You know, yeah, so they can reach you, Charlie, now, but ask a question. All righty. Garden Show to reach Charlie. Here's the number in Toronto, 416-360-0740, or anywhere in the province, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. And uh, if uh, you'd like to follow our little mantra, call early, call often, one question per call. And if you happen to be a first-time caller, please let our operator, Carlos, know, and he will let me know. And before you get the airways... There you go. You get <laughs> garden wings, Charlie. Perfect. Now, Perfect. at some point, you've got to talk to, uh, about your visit to uh, the um, Whispering Garden. Uh, Whispering, yeah, Whispering Garden. Whistling, right? whistling, whistling, yes, whistling. yes. Oh, I've got some good stories to share. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. We, we are up to our first break, though, so we'll do that. Come back to say hi to an old friend in Mississauga. I do believe it's John on the line. Oh, yeah. So we'll be back with that in moments, Charlie. Thank you. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All righty, Charlie, let's get to our first caller. I've already kind of spilled the beans on this one. John from Mississauga is with... Good morning, John. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Um, Charlie, I don't know if you're aware. I send you an email with the picture of my, uh, uh, of my fruit trees especially the pear and the small bombanella. Um, what's happening is some of the branches are sort of dead. And when the small bombanella, the, the, the leaves are turning um, dark and, you know, brown. Um, I wonder if there's anything. Well, I'm going to cut the dead branches anyhow. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, there. And, um, but there. can I spray with something? Can I spray with um, no. either Bordeaux or, 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 or some uh, other stuff? Because I'm lost. Okay. And I don't want... And my neighbor, too. On, on the pear tree, mostly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm just looking now because I hadn't seen these. Oh, no, it's okay. Yeah, it looks like your pear has... Uh, it's actually probably the same thing that's on my crab apple. It's a form. It's a fungal disease. You know, you see the um, there's round, they're yellow spots. The center is rusty colored, and if you just leave them alone, those spots get bigger and bigger and bigger, and the center gets darker and darker, and eventually the tissue just dies and falls out. Uh-huh. So it's not, as far as I know, something that you are going to control now. Well. Hmm. There is a great insectic, uh, fungicide out there. It's a biological. We've been talking a lot about the, the bacillus bacteria for use for pest control. There is a, a fungicide out there. It's called Serenade is its trade name. So S-E-R-E-N-A-D-E. You can Serenade, get a yeah. Serenade. Uh, okay. Double check. It's, it, even if it's not useful now, because right now you're not at a point where you... Remember with fungal diseases, we, we can't cure them, but we can prevent them. So okay. what you would do is you would have the serenade on hand for next spring to avoid this problem, and it would be something you spray based on the weather. It also looks like you've got a lot of thinning to do on if that's the bambanella, I can't tell. Uh-huh. Uh, 
You need, number one, we need good air circulation through our fruit trees. We need sun penetration. Otherwise, we end up with that humidity and that moisture, and we end up with fungal diseases. Also, the fall webworms, you know, have showed up, so I'm starting to see some areas in my garden where, um, you know, my trees and shrubs were suddenly there's webbing and there's little insects in there. So, yeah, you, you've got a big pruning job ahead of you. <laughs> big okay, John. Yeah, th- thank you, John, for a... Okay, Charlie, okay, show. Frank, take care, thank you. You betcha, thank you. Thank you. Uh, note from an email here from Vera Kern. Uh, deadheading perennials is the subject. She says, have a lovely bunch of burgundy monarda that are about at the end of their bloom period. How far down the finished blooms do I cut them in order to have a second set of blooms? Yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of us struggle with where exactly do yeah. I cut down my perennials and my shrubs? So monarda is the proper name for a very common perennial, also known as bee balm. So it's, uh, it's wonderful in tea. It's also very much of a supporter of the bees and the pollinators. So what do you do? You follow, you've got those flowers up on the tips. So follow down. I don't know what exact variety of Minarda that Vera has. So I'm just going to, in general, follow down all the crispy, you know, uh, petals that are past their prime. Down, down, down. till you get to a set of green, fresh leaves. Look there where those green leaves are. See if it appears that new growth is going to come from there. Uh, so there's little buds. Sometimes we just trim off the flowers and side shoots will grow. Other times, like in the case of the salvia that I've got, perennial salvia, you actually cut that whole flower stem right down to the ground because there's leaves down at the bottom there. And you leave the leaves, you just cut the stem off. And it's from the bottom of the plant that new uh, flowers will grow. So Take a look. If in doubt, you can always send me a photograph. But, um, but yeah, generally we start with just take away the dead flowers and then watch and see what happens. Okay. Uh, we're up to our next break here. But when you come back, Charlie, maybe we can talk a little bit about your special show, Healing Gardens, and where you mm-hmm. were this past week. Very interesting stuff you've been into. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Sure. There we go. Char- Charlie will be uh, filling up that coffee cup, and we'll come back and have a chat right here on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, this past week you were at a very special garden and uh, shooting another episode of Healing Gardens for Zoomer uh, TV. So, tell us a little bit about what went on. So Healing Gardens is a documentary series that I'm hosting, and there will be 10 episodes, and this was episode number eight in production. Went to a garden called Whistling Gardens. So Whistling Gardens is not too far from Hamilton, not too far from Brantford, kind of half an hour from everything, out sort of in the middle of what was a cornfield. It's quite a great story. A, a couple, um, um, Darren and Wanda, Bought 22 acres that had been a cornfield 15, you know, years ago, mm-hmm. roughly. And because um, Darren's dream was to to create a botanical garden, and he's a real collector of conifers. So conifers are the evergreens, um, and of which, believe it or not, he has of conifers alone something crazy number like 4,000 different species. Oh, wow! And 
Yeah, and like, I mean, you, you know, you've got to be a real plant nerd to really truly appreciate some of this stuff. But he's, they do such a lovely job, and they're just the nicest people in the world. They've got all kinds of sort of, it's, an, it, it, it's a one-stop shop. They've got a garden center. They've got beautiful paths for walking, uh, ponds, special birds, like, you know, just not just your average swans, but special swans. Right? Mm. Um, a little partridge, so it's little, little eggs. Chicks had just hatched, baby partridges. Uh, anyway, super cool. And um, what I did is I interviewed not only Darren, the, the person who created and, and started this whole place, but some of his volunteers and some of the members of Whistling Gardens, people for whom this garden has had a huge impact in their lives. Um, you know, just making them just happy, calm people that can sleep at night, Frank. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just oh, yeah. really, really, uh, just a place where there's just such a good vibe. I would highly, highly recommend if you can get out there, go, go for the visit, go for a day. They have special events. He's got an, a crazy pond. It's more than a pond. It's his massive fountain, and it's a bit of a takeoff from Versailles, if you can imagine. Wow. It's huge. And pyrotechnics, we're talking a fountain that runs uh, with music and lights. Oh, wow. uh, so it's like just a, a feast to the eyes. And, uh, and you're very, very beautiful people. My best part is I wanted to get into his garden center to do some shopping for my garden, but I, it was just such a long day. I you know sort of ate till eight at night, yeah. and then Darren gave me a tree, and it's just a little tree. It's only like two feet tall right now, but it's the most rare conifer in the world. Oh my! Yeah, wow. yeah, it's a little fir tree. Uh, it's called a Bashan fir, B A I S H A N fir. Very cool tree, just first discovered not that long ago, about 20 years ago, up in the mountains in China. And at that time, they, there was six trees, way, or sorry, seven trees were found up on this mountain. Um, so uh, three of them were dug up and moved to the Beijing Botanical Garden where they promptly died. So now there was only four left out in the wild. Um, now, what happened, of course, is now we're down to two. There are two living still on that mountain. Uh, so that's it. In the entire world, there are two trees out in the wild. Yeah. But there has been propagation with cuttings of this bashan mm-hmm. fir. So um, Darren, being the, the conifer guy that he is, he is growing a, a number in his gardens. It's, not, it's nothing amazing. It's just a big green fir tree. But it's so unusual uh, and he does propagate them. He's been grafting them, and he gave me a little tree. So wow. I'm like good, over the moon. Good for I'm you. So excited. Oh, that's that's not super. Yeah. Whistling yeah. gardens. Okay, more about yeah. that a little bit later on. We better get back to the phone lines here because Okey-doke. Marianne, bless her heart, been hanging on that line for several minutes now. Good morning, Marianne. Welcome to the show. Good morning, uh, Charlie and Frank. Um, I hope you're keeping well. Absolutely. Uh, Love your show. I have a question about pruning evergreens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have two evergreen bushes that are looking out of control, and I'd like to take the hedge clippers to them and uh, give them back their shape. Is this a good time to do that? No, but what kind of evergreens are they? Uh, one's about a five-foot-high pyramid juniper, and the other's about a three-foot round cedar. Oh, okay. So, perfect. Um, yes, you can take your hedge trimmers, but don't do it now. Oh. The, reason, the reason we don't want to do any massive radical pruning now is we're at the end of July. 
Yes. And if you start doing pruning on any of your perennial plants, right, any of your trees, your shrubs, your evergreens at this time, of course, August is usually pretty beautiful growing weather, and the plants are going to respond to the pruning by putting out a bunch of new growth in August. And what will happen, of course, is that winter is coming, and that new growth will be very tender. And what often happens is that the new growth gets gets killed by the coming winter weather. So oh. we don't want to encourage a lot of new growth. The plants we haven't we're not really seeing it yet, but we're going to really start to see it in the next week or two. Are going to start really slowing down. They know that days are getting shorter, nights are getting cooler. They are going to start slowing down their above-ground growth. They're not going to all of a sudden turn yellow right before our eyes, but they are going to slow down because they're getting ready to hunker down for winter. And they move all their energy down under the ground, down into the roots. You start doing a lot of trimming now. You say, oh, get growing, plant. And before you know it, it's not hunkering down. It's bringing out a bunch of new growth. So do your shearing for sure on both the juniper and the cedar, but do it when they're actively growing. So that is next, usually late spring. It might be May, it might be June, but that is your time. You can go crazy, do whatever you want, and all that new growth that will happen will be perfect because that's exactly what the plants are doing at that time. Okay, but they look so shaggy. <laughs> I know. Well, just have a chat with them and tell them that their time is coming. They're going to look really good in about six months. <laughs> we will dress you up for winter. All right. Uh, thank, thank you very much. Love your show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Margaret Woolsey has sent a little note to our way, or your way, actually. Shasta daisies. She says, I have two clumps in separate places of the garden. Both have the potted and discolored centers. I see no bugs. Is it a virus? Do I need to dig it up and destroy? These plants are a few years old. Right. Um Based on the photographs that uh, Margaret sent, I um, I don't think she needs to dig them up and destroy them. Mm-hmm. Um, what she's got, the center, where the center, like, a, you know what a daisy looks like, right? It's got the little yep. yellow button in the center and little white petals. So the centers are what we would call pitted. They, you know, they, they look a little rough. They're, um, Shasta daisies are not highly susceptible to a lot of problems. I mean, there is a fungus. It's called a septoria fungus that can infect them but that usually shows up as brown spots on the leaves and and these shastas look pretty good i'm not seeing a lot of spots on the leaves the the main thing is when we have anything that looks a bit odd on our plants when we're not sure we'll think it might be a fungus um avoid obviously irrigating from above no no sprinklers no irrigation keep those plants dry it's going to rain you can't help them getting wet then but just don't get them wet yourself um, remember good garden hygiene. Always, always keep keep the dead stuff coming off the plants. Um, clean it up, garbage, not compost, mm-hmm. right out into the into the landfill, and and see what happens. I mean, keep an eye on them. Allow them to finish this fall. Allow them to go dormant this winter. Of course, you're going to cut everything right down to ground level before winter really hits. You're going to dispose of all the material that you've cut off those plants, and see what happens in the spring. See what they look like in the spring. Uh, if you're concerned that they do have a fungal infection, the spring is really the time to, to think about doing something with them. And, and always, you can always send me another photo then. Good stuff. Okay. Thank you, Charlie. Thank um, you. Ellis in the Niagara region is online. Good morning, Ellis. Welcome to the show. Good morning, um, both of you. Uh, I had a lovely gift yesterday of an English lavender. Oh, nice. Six-inch 
plastic pot. Mm-hmm. So how do I take care of it? Well, have you got a garden you can plant it into? Yes, yes. Excellent, because it will not survive the winter in that pot above ground. You will need to get it in the ground yes. before winter. So uh, a sunny spot, have you got a spot where it's at least six to eight hours of direct sunlight every day? Yes. Perfect. So you're going to go out to your sunniest spot, you're going to look around, you're going to check the soil. English lavender is not that hard to grow. Um, The things it needs is lots of sun. It needs preferably to be somewhat protected from a, a harsh northern or western wind. So if you've got an option there, think about sort of a southeast uh, location if you can and make sure the soil is fertile but well drained lavender does not want to sit in a wet spot so make sure there's good drainage where you're planting the lavender you know how sometimes we have low parts of our garden that tends to be soggy in the spring you do not want to put a lavender in that sort of situation so a nice well-drained fertile soil make sure you've amended the soil with compost or some organic material you know composted manure or whatever uh, and then yeah just Get it out of the pot, loosen the roots. They're probably going to be quite all root-bound inside that pot. So loosen the roots and then into the ground, planting it at the same level it is now in the pot into your garden. And enjoy. Like, don't, I wouldn't do any fancy pruning this fall. Definitely don't fertilize this fall. Just into the ground, water thoroughly. And then next spring, you'll, you'll probably need to trim away a little bit of dead stuff that will have happened over the winter. Okay, well, just one uh, question. Should I put gravel in the very bottom of it, in, in the soil or not? No. The drainage, no? No, no, no. your soil, if, if you're worried that you don't have great drainage, then consider mixing some, well, very, I mean, if, if it's a garden where you've got other plants growing, then you kind of want to put gravel everywhere. You know, I've done that before, like sand, gravel, <laughs> anything to try and facilitate drainage. But honestly, one of your best ways and easiest ways and most organic ways to get drainage is add organic material. Add that manure I mentioned or, you know, peat moss, uh, uh, anything that you can see out there, um, worm castings, you know, anything that's organic-based will help you with drainage. Okay, thank you so much. Take care of it then. Bye-bye. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for calling. Thank you for calling. This show is The Garden Show, and we're broadcasting (laughs) from Zoomer Radio AM 740, 96.7 in Down downtown Toronto, where the Blue Jays cleaned their clocks last night. <laughs> okay, uh, you've been really just on a tear here, so just uh, take a little bit of a break while I read you an email here, Charlie, okay. from Ruth W. She says, good morning. This year, again, I'm having problems with my pink, blue, purple hydrangeas flowering. Lots of foliage. I've had great luck with them flowering, but these last two years, nothing. I put peat moss around the plants in early spring and have fertilized with a 15-30-15. These plants have been in for about eight years and have been gorgeous, but not the last two years. They flower on old and new wood, and yes, I prune in the fall, and I've always done that. What's going on, she says? Ruth Hmm. from Dover. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. And you know what? Hydrangeas, I think, are the number one plant we get questions about, right? right. It's just so, so many issues of, and usually it's around the flowers. So because there are so many hydrangea species, it's hard for me to know exactly which one we're dealing with. Ruth is pretty confident that this is a fairly new variety because the newer varieties, the endless summer varieties, as an example, are ones that bloom on both old and new wood. Number one, I do my hydrangea pruning in the spring. I don't do it in the fall. I let them, the hydrangeas, sit out in the winter, 
if they do have flowers on them, of course, the flowers will hang on all winter and they, they can be quite ornamental. Uh, and then I do a hard pruning in the spring. And But everything else you've done there is right. You've done fertilizing, which is correct. Peat moss, not a problem. Uh, eight years, gorgeous. You know, actually, I should probably look this up. If you Google... Uh, it's under Proven Winners because Proven Winners is a company that has come out with a lot of great hydrangeas. So provenwinners.com, they have a whole section on hydrangeas. And the one part of it, if you go to provenwinners.com, go search for hydrangeas, and then you'll see there's a like a fact sheet or a tip sheet, and it's called why don't my hydrangeas bloom? <laughs> it's a multi-page explanation depending on the kind of hydrangea you're trying to grow on things to do to support flowering. Because, frankly, what Ruth is doing, as far as I'm concerned, is all right. She's, there's nothing wrong. Um, and hydrangeas can just be really frustrating. They'll be beautiful and blooming one year and completely green the next. So I threaten them usually in that situation, and I say, you've got another year, you know, I'll, I'll look after you. We'll see what happens next year. If you're green again two years in a row, you might just be compost. All right. I'm looking out the window here in uh, downtown Toronto. Blue skies, and the same for Beautiful. you, I understand. Yeah, right? gorgeous day, gorgeous day. But, Excellent day to get outside, and it's going to rain like stink tomorrow. Oh, so today lovely. is a perfect day okay. to get out, pull some more weeds, you know, move some more plants, <laughs> get, chat with the neighbors. Get, get your husband working again there. Poor guy, yeah. having bad dreams about weeds. I can't believe it. <laughs> All righty, Lorraine in Cambridge, very patiently waiting on our line. Good morning. Good morning, Lorraine. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Um, yes, my Rose of Sharon, when it drops its flowers, is that responsible for all the little flowerlets <laughs> that come up, the plantlets that come up? Exactly. Right. Okay. Because I have been cleaning them up ever as they drop. But it's uh, They're still well, lovely. <laughs> you could start a Rose of Sharon nursery, you know. I know. <laughs> there, are, there are not all Rose of Sharon, but some of them, as you point out, beautiful flowers, then the little fruits, the fruits, it, like pop flowers come out of those fruits. And before you know it, you've got 5,000 little baby Rose of Sharons growing at the base of the mummy plant. So, yeah, you know what? You might have neighbors that would like a Rose of Sharon plant, but otherwise you're right. I would just compost them because you don't necessarily want a forest, probably. Okay. They also uh, also want to suggest about trying to sleep at night um, yeah. for Franklin uh-huh. D. Yeah. Um, is to not do anything electronic like watching TV or working on the computer or all that. Apparently the light. The blue is, light. Yes, that's, uh, I've heard that. You're right. Messes with your circadian clock. That's, right. That's right. Thank you for that suggestion. I appreciate it so much. Thanks. Thank now, we're going to be Thank having you. a... Okay, yeah, sorry. Uh, Frank, going, I, I mm-hmm. would suggest a glass of wine, personally. Well, oh, in your case, there you go. maybe yes. some warm milk with a little whiskey <laughs> or some Irish whiskey in uh, it. A little Jameson's, possibly. Jameson's, yes, exactly. Yes. In, with warm milk, though. Get that warm <laughs> milk in there. The whole warm thing helps you go to sleep. We're going to get to a, a first-time <laughs> caller in just a moment here, but I have a, a note from Leonard La, who said a pretty simple question here, I think. What mm-hmm. time of year is best suited for transplanting rose bushes as well as rose of Sharon bushes so as not to kill them? Mm, good question. So rose bushes, <clears throat> roses bloom, <clears throat> excuse me, late spring, early summer, like June-ish time, whereas rose of Sharon bushes are starting to bloom now. Uh, our last caller, Lorraine, was just asking about rose mm. of Sharon. So 
the time to transplant anything is when it's not blooming. So I would personally transplant roses in the early spring, when they, before the leaves emerge. And, of course, the only time to really transplant Rose of Sharon is early spring before the leaves emerge. But they're the last ones to put leaves out. So you have more time to play around with your Rose of Sharon than you do with your roses. But know where you're putting them. Have your hole prepared in advance. You know, dig, loosen, amend soil. Make sure both these plants are going into full sun, uh, six to eight hours direct sun every single day, and uh, get get the moves on a on a dry day or a day when it's nice to be out in the garden. But of course, we want the ground to be thawed and not too soggy. Radio, uh, we're going to take a little break here. Come back, talk to our a caller from Etobicoke who happens to be a first time caller, Tony, and uh, the show continues. We roll <laughs> forward, as it were, on this Saturday morning here from Zoomer Radio. Charlie Dobbin on the air from AM740. Back in a moment. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And my friends, if you're watching online, you see me, Frankie Proctor, reaching for the bell. And here it goes. That's for, that's for Tony in Etobicoke, a brand new caller. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. Good morning. I have a problem with my uh, tomato plants. Some of them acting kind of weird. Hmm. Uh, some of them, the leaves have all fallen off. They're all dried up. Mm-hmm. Some of them, like the bottom half is dried out and the top half is still good. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So you are experiencing something called tomato blight. Oh. It, it seems to happen just about every summer. It depends. This year, maybe not quite as bad as some summers, uh, but we have had a fair amount of rain. So the blight diseases, there's three different blights that can wipe out our tomato crops. Um, and they are very, they're all fungal diseases. So the more sort of rain and high humidity we have, the more often we have problems. Um, so it starts with little spots on the leaves. Always it's the lower leaves first, and they'll get little brown spots, and then the leaf will turn yellow, and slowly but surely we'll, we'll start to see the leaves dying up towards the plant. So there's early blight and there's late blight. Late blight is the one that just kills the plants very quickly. It's about 48 hours from infection to death. So you know if you've got late blight, your crop is lost, and it's obvious. It happens so quickly. But if you're just seeing some spots, obviously it's a, it's a hygiene thing. Remove leaves that are yellow or spotted. Um, and, of course, remove them right from the garden. Uh, and, you, you know, there, again, there are fungicide treatments that you use to prevent the problem. Fungal diseases are not curable. All we can ever do is prevent them, and sometimes we can help stop the spread. But you really want to use your fungicides before any fungal diseases appear, uh, and then you use them regularly right after rain. Typically, when the plants are dry, you want it's it's the water that pr- allows the spores to, to spread uh, when the when the rain drops and the water splashes. So some of my tomato plants are okay though. It might be because different varieties are different resistance. Oh, yeah. Also, remember, we always have to rotate our crops. Never put tomatoes in the same spot yeah, two I years in a row. Pardon? I have rotated the tomato crop. Oh, good. 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 Well, make sure that, see, like, remember that family, tomatoes, eggplants, 
peppers. They're all they're all in the same family, and potatoes. So you never plant the same family in the same spot twice. Yeah. So make sure your where your tomatoes are now. They're beans next year, or, or corn, or something completely different, and that your tomatoes are moving somewhere else. Thank but, you. Um, Thank okay. you very now, much, Good garden hygiene. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I have an email here from Jeanette O'Hara. Uh, she includes a word or two that uh, you're going to want to check my pronunciation guide on. She says, good morning. Uh, a friend called and told me she surprisingly found Epipactus helleborn growing in her garden. Did I come close with that, uh, Charlie? Uh, pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> Epipactus helleborine. Borine. Well, there you Borine. go. Okay. Yeah. She did not plant this orchid. It is in bloom. She has not added any new soil in her garden. Only mulch. Did did it come with a mulch, the seeds flown in with the wind, dropped by a bird? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> From Jeanette in Font Hill. Okay, so I read this email and I went, well, that's interesting. I don't know much about this particular orchid. Yeah. It is a terrestrial orchid, meaning it's an orchid that grows in the earth. Unlike the orchids we have inside our homes, which are not terrestrial, they grow up in the trees. So this, um, yeah, this particular Epipactus helleborn grows about three feet tall. It flowers in June, right through to September. The, the leaves are kind of a dull green color. The leaves are arranged in, um, uh, sorry, with the flowers that are arranged in long, drooping, what are called racemes. It is a naturalized plant. It's widely naturalized throughout the Northeast United States, Eastern Canada, and the Great Lakes region. So I don't think it's as unusual as, as we might be thinking. It could have been, it could have blown in, exactly, could have come in the mulch, could have come from a bird. <laughs> yeah. But it is a plant that will successfully colonize human habitats, parks, gardens, roadsides. You know, it's like those ditch daylilies, right? They call them ditch lilies, those orange daylilies that grow everywhere in uh, co- you know, cottage country in mm-hmm. Ontario. Same idea. This particular orchid is something that's going to successfully do just that and has been in the process of doing that. So kind of a neat plant, but definitely a bit unusual. Going to get more normal, I think, as time goes on. Okay. Epipactus helleborin. Wow. Nice. Very close, huh? (laughs) I rehearsed that, believe me. (laughs) Uh, Let's uh, go to our lines once again here. Say hi to Linda calling in from Port Perry. Good morning, Linda. Hi there. How are you two today? Great. Excellent. How are you? I have a phlox that I think is covered from top to bottom, except where the blooms are, mm-hmm. with gray mold. Yeah, powdery mildew. Do I cut the whole thing down when it's finished mm-hmm. blooming? Oh, definitely. Um, but you know what you might want to consider? Again, this is kind of like the um, Tony's, the color on tomato blight, powdery mildew, fungal disease. Uh, different varieties of flocks are more susceptible than others to getting that white fuzzy stuff all over the leaves, which is a mildew. There's so little that you can do about it. It just comes down to the variety. I mean, again, full sun, lots of good air circulation will limit mildew, but when we have a lot of rain, like we've been having this summer, I mean, I'm, I'm loving the rain, but we are seeing a fair amount of fungal diseases with the rain. You need to cut it right down to ground level as we get later into the late summer, early fall. You're going to remove everything you cut down off your property. And you can try again next year, or you can eliminate that plant and go to the garden center and get by a phlox, which is disease-resistant, particularly powdery mildew-resistant, because there are varieties that are. And what's the name of it? 
powdery mildew. But what did you say to replace it with? Oh, a, a different flock. Like, what color is your flock? It's white. Oh, so there's one out there. It's called David, I believe. David? Hey, he, yeah, D-A-V-I-D. I can double check that. Uh, it is completely resistant. It will never get mildew at all, and it's pure white. All right. And will it hurt my arms and legs when I cut it down? Oh, no, not at all. No, okay. it won't hurt you at all. Great. Thanks, Charlie. Okay. You're very welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for joining the show on this Saturday morning here in Toronto. Uh, I'll be back in just a couple of moments to read a note from Yasmin Miniker and uh, have you help this uh, caller out with a question she has, Charlie. But time for you to take a little bit of a break and maybe fill that coffee cup up, okay? <laughs> all right. Thank you. Yeah, well, gee, you've been working your head off there, my gosh. <laughs> all righty, back in a moment with Charlie Dobbin here on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Note here. Oh, there we are. Sorry, I didn't turn my mic on. Uh, <laughs> how many years have I been in this business? Anyway. Yeah, Frankie, you're having a bit of a time. You know, <laughs> yeah, I okay. am. I'm the listener, says uh, Yasmin, who followed you from CHML. Years of listening, questioning you from Hamilton. Now, I've been mm. gifted an old memory rose from a garden, don't know variety. It is in a large plastic pot, seems to be thriving. If I insulate with leaves, will it survive our winters? A couple of years ago, you know, she tried insulating a mini rose, didn't make it. I, she said, I don't want to lose this rose, but I'm not sure where to give it a <laughs> permanent home. My beds are full. I love it. My beds are full. That's <laughs> impossible. There's always room for one more plant. <laughs> so, Yasmin, you know what? You've got to get that rose out of the pot into the ground if you want it to survive the winter. Now, keep in mind that you don't have to... That you can leave it in the pot, but the pot has to go underground. So maybe you have an area in your garden where you've got annual flowers or maybe some herbs or some vegetables, something that it'll be naked in the winter and it'll get filled up again next spring with other plants. That's a great location to take a special plant that's in a pot, like this, this mm-hmm. rose, use that once you've harvested out your, your flowers, or your vegetables or herbs, then you can just leave that rose in the pot that it's in bury it pot and all under the ground. Now, I'm just saying sink the pot. You don't have to sink the whole plant, but sink the pot underground, firm the soil up around the pot, and then just let the whole plant go. I mean, I would probably also do some further mulching once we get into some real cold weather, uh, you know, like a good hard frost by November maybe, uh, some straw if you have straw or some just loose topsoil um, mulch, anything that will kind of provide a little bit of insulation uh, and trap air around the, the crown of the plant, mm-hmm. so the, the ground up uh, around, and then uh, let it be outside for the winter, and then come spring, dig up the pot, wash it off, and put it back wherever you had it for the summer. But it, the chances of it surviving above ground are very, very low. Okay. Uh, we have, oh, hey, uh, Frankie is reaching for the bell once again here. That's for Joel, who's our first-time caller from Cambridge. Good morning, Joel. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm good sorry. Morning. My, my, my English is not very good. But anyway, I just, I just wondered about this. My daughter gave me a fig tree last year mm. in June. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't want it because I don't want anything to do with bringing it in and out. The fig yeah. tree, a lot of people, they take it, put it in the garage, 
heat yeah, here. Yeah. I, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. No. She told me to put She said, Dad, don't worry about it. This tree to survive outside, <laughs> which I did. I left it outside. <laughs> I, I ate uh, about seven figs last year. It was okay. No problem. Okay. Yeah. The winter, the winter, couple of branches that die. Uh-huh. So I cut them off, but now it survive. It's okay. The tree looks okay. But <laughs> how can that go through in the winter time again? Uh, probably doing know? exactly what you did last year. I mean, but remember, every winter is different. See, that's kind of the challenge. Is we had a pretty mild winter last year. Okay, okay, okay. So that would be part. Of, so it's just in a pot above ground. Is that what it was? No, no. I, I put I put it right in the ground. Oh, okay. Oh, good point. Yeah. So, you know what? Um, I'm going to tell you about an author. He is based in Toronto. He is a fig grower, and he knows everything about figs. Oh. Uh, he, he calls himself a fig pig. <laughs> his, his first name well, is Stephen. So I, 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 I covered it with straw last year in the wintertime. Yeah, but anyway. good idea. But he's got a great book. It's called, called Growing Figs in Cold Climate, 150 of Your Questions Answered. Okay. Stephen Big. Maybe I can get the phone number from this person. Well, I can give you his name or his, his uh, website. He's W Stephen Big. So S as in Sam, T as in Tom, E, V as in Victor, E, N as in Norway, and then Biggs, B-I-G-G-S. So Stephen Biggs. Dot yeah, and he is the fig pig. Okay, <laughs> okay. He's well, so I'm funny. Gonna... He's a great guy. I wish I should probably get him on the show. He has been on our show. Frank, you remember yes. his daughter Emma was on That's our show right. too. Yeah, he's yeah. the tomato grower. So between the two of them, he's the fig guy. His teenage daughter is the tomato gal, and they're both like real little. You know, talk about plant nerds. They are all over it. So he he knows everything about growing figs. If I remember uh, correctly, uh, they live out in the Scarborough area, do they not? No, they're in North York. Oh, they're North not York. far from Mel Lassman Square, actually. They're just right sort of young in Shepherd area. Well, I didn't remember correctly then. Yeah, no, that's okay. But, they're, yeah, they're GTA and, uh, you know, suburban house. But he's been growing figs, and he used to bring them inside, but I think he leaves them outside now. He's got all kinds of great techniques for looking after figs and getting great... Uh, Great harvest. Okay. I think we might have time for one more caller, if we can squeeze this call in. <coughs> Carlos, uh, for Linda on the line there? Yep. Uh, oops. Oh, yeah. oh, do you want to just grab that line then? Sorry. We hadn't picked it up yet. I, I, I assumed it had been picked up. Let's see if uh, we do get Linda on the line. Good morning, Linda. Hello, Linda. Um, no. Frankie, let's do an email. We uh, have a do you know what? Uh, yeah, we're we're uh, out of out of racetrack. Just to, uh, understand, it's a different caller entirely. So, okay. and we're out of time. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? So Wouldn't you know? Where yeah. did the time go, Frankie? Hey, listen, yeah. how are your swans doing? Oh, you know they're getting big. Six of them, six cygnets, wow. and uh, the brown feathers are now getting more white as the days go by. I expect to see them start trying to plow across the water and take off. Uh, I would give that another month and a half, maybe, though. But they're pretty cute when they're learning how to fly. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Hey, Charlie, you you did yeoman service here this morning. My gosh. My pleasure, Frankie. So, listen, thanks so much for for all your help. You get some sleep, my friend. Yes, yes, yes. The CBD oil. I'm going to CBD, a suggestion I've heard from others. It works really, really well for them. Okay. 
figure that out, and we will see you next week. I appreciate all your help and your camaraderie, and thank you, Carlos. Thanks to our great callers. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.